I really believe that machine learning and customer service is a big deal and it's an area we can make a huge difference. Like if you call in, right, and I can match your phone number to your email, that means I can match your phone number to your sales history. That means I should be able to predict what you wanna talk about. Right. Or at the very least, like equip the customer service representative with more information than they would have had. Uh, I just think it's such a big deal. I, I think it's an area that if there's one thing that I would love to optimize for myself and all of our customers, it's time. I'd love to have them have less time to get what they want. And, and, and that's where an area where I think machine learning is a big opportunity for us. And, and again, an opportunity for us to differentiate from from our uh, competitors. This is Faces of Growth. I had the pleasure to talk with Charlie Cole, and he's the global chief e-commerce officer at Samsonite, as well as the chief digital officer at Toomey. He explains that combo in our conversation. But we got to talk about what marketing tactics Toomey uses to hold their own against Amazon, while simultaneously using the behemoth platform to Toomey's global advantage. We get into Charlie's dreams about using machine learning and customer service to better optimize his and his customers' time, And then you'll have to hear Charlie tell me a quote, embarrassing story about his use of Snapchat to stay relevant with current marketing trends. Listen up. This is Faces of Growth and I'm Brittany and I have with me today, Charlie Cole with Toomey and Samsonite. And Charlie, I'll go ahead and let you take it from here. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and what you're responsible for now, how you landed and how is your contribution measured? Got it. so my name is Charlie, as, as mentioned. Um, our company is is probably a little, uh, it's very obvious to people in some ways, but our structure is probably not very obvious. So um, I was the chief digital officer at Toomey. Um, Toomey was acquired by a holding company called Samsonite. Now, uh, I think when people think about Samsonite, they think about the brand Samsonite. But as a company structure, I, I always tell people we're a lot more like Procter & Gamble. Um, so we own brands like Toomey, Samsonite, eBag, Spec, American Tourister, Gregory Hartman. So we, we really are like a, um, a portfolio company. And my role is kind of global P&L management of all of our digital touch points. So um, we sell directly. We have sites like samsonite.com and, and toomey.co.uk and toomey.cn. Um, so all of that rolls up to me globally. And then also all of our kind of, let's call it third-party digital relationships like Amazon, Tmall, JD.com, et cetera. So uh, all of that rolls up to me. And, and how I'm sort of evaluated is based on kind of overall P&L performance, both from a revenue and, and profitability perspective. Okay. Um, you've had a number of different leadership roles in so many different companies. And I'm curious, like, did you <laughs> did you ever experience imposter syndrome even in the beginning of your career as you've moved your way up the ladder? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not sure anybody knows it at the time, but kind of hindsight 2020, um, I would think anybody that's self-aware enough would say that to a certain point, they didn't really know what they were doing in certain kind of areas of their business. I mean, for me, I think back to kind of my first corporate role um, and corporate sort of an arbitrary term. But when, when I was running e-commerce at Lucky Brand, um, I was 25 years old and had really only up to that point focused on digital marketing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you end up rounding out your other areas is a functional expertise over time. But um, I certainly didn't know how to be a digital merchant at the time. I certainly didn't know a whole lot about um, on-site usability. Um, and you can kind of learn, but but as long as you kind of stay open-minded, you can be a pretty effective leader. So 
I'm not sure it never at the time. I'm not sure I ever really felt like as an imposter. But but looking back uh, at those roles, I certainly was kind of like I didn't fully know what I was doing, um, which I which I think is natural uh, as you kind of evolve through through a role. Yeah. What would you say to the marketer that might feel that way? Uh, I, I go back to that point of, of self-awareness. You know, for me, kind of the major um barometer of whether or not I'm going to want to work with someone, be friends with someone, um, is based on their knowing who they are and who they aren't, you know? And so, uh, if you are a digital marketer and you're kind of being thrust into more of a full P and L ownership role with far more functional areas of, of responsibility, you, you know, find people that are, that are smarter than you that can work with you and teach you, um, would be my, my number one recommendation, but that can only happen if you're willing to kind of take inventory of your own faculties and, and figure out where you may not be the strongest. And yeah. I think, I think the only real definition of intelligence or stupidity at this point is, is being willing to admit where, where you need help. Um, because if, if you're not willing to do that, you're probably a pretty dumb person. Like when you strip off all the layers of intelligence and education and all that sort of stuff, everybody is going to need support. And, you know, one of my, my favorite statistics that my friends have heard me spout off ad nauseum is if you were to look at the fortune 500 CEOs in the world or like the largest CEOs in the world, you know, at the biggest companies, the most successful companies, you know, how many of them are truly the founders of that business, right? And, and so, you know, that's just kind of way of talking about the evolution of, of companies. You need to kind of support people around the journey of, of company progression with people, frankly, that are better than you at things. And so that'd yeah. be my, my number one recommendation. Yeah. Do you have mentors right now? And if so, who are they? Or where do mentors? you find? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, so to answer your second question, you were just to say is where do I find them? I think mentors are sort of people, um, you almost collect over time. Um, at least that's how it's been for me. Um, for sure. the, the, the two or three that, that really leap to mind, um, our, uh, Tarang Amin, um, was, was our CEO at shift nutrition. He's now the CEO at ELF cosmetics. Um, mm. he, he just, he taught me a lot about what I was just kind of saying uh, about kind of knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. I'll, I'll never forget one of my first conversations with Tarang. It was my first time in a CPG company, you know, shift nutrition was a classic consumer package with company and Tarang had been the global head of Clorox for goodness sake. Like this guy, you know, was certainly not new to CPG. Yeah. And he said to me, he said to me, he's like, you know, Charlie, look, you don't know anything about CPG and I don't know anything about selling stuff online. And so if we can take the time to learn from each other, like we can do something really special. And it was such a simple comment, but it really embodied that, that point of view that I was just sharing with you, which is, you know, let's each learn from each other on personal strengths and then we'll be that much better as a team. So, so Trang taught me a lot about that. And then I worked, um, my CEO at, at Toomey, um, Jerome Griffith is somebody else I really consider a mentor. Um, and, and what Jerome taught me is how to kind of manage and grow a company that had a very strong heritage. Like Toomey, kind of, the thing I love about working with, with Toomey and for Toomey is when you say Toomey to someone who's used the product, their eyes light up and they say like, oh my gosh, I love Toomey. Yeah. Right, there's this heritage of the product itself. But Jerome had to evolve this company that it's such a set heritage. And in order to do so, it, it meant progression can be really 
hard. Like, I mean, making progress is a really challenging thing. And so he taught me a lot about where to embrace a history and embrace a culture and where to kind of evolve a culture. And then the last person, uh, I only worked with him for six months, but he's just, he's just an amazing evaluation, the evaluator of talent and people is uh, Dan Levitan. Um, Dan is the, the managing partner at Maveron. Um, and just watching Dan and really what a venture capital firm does is they invest in people. You know, they invest in founders that they kind of think are going to be effective. And watching Dan's progression of talking to founders and talking to potential investments and kind of seeing how he thinks and seeing how he involves his partners around him. I just think Dan was one of the more thoughtful evaluators of talent I've ever I've ever really seen. Um, so, you know, I, I found those all just kind of through my career and, and kind of collected them. And then I think your job as the mentee is to just kind of keep in contact with them. Right. Which in the which in the digital world today, that's not that hard. It's just yeah. a matter of a little bit of effort. And it doesn't need to be like a weekly phone conversation. You know, I might email these guys twice a year or if I really need support, though, and I have to talk to them over the phone, they'd be willing to get on the phone like that. So making those genuine connections with people throughout your career that that you know, again, are better than you at certain things, I, I think is, is probably the number one thing about having a great mentor. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you are mentors. You're a mentor to other people as well, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, formally, only probably a half dozen people have asked me in, in that context. But, you know, I think I think mentoring is, is really um, it's as much of a verb as it is a noun. Yep. Uh, somebody might ask me for advice twice a week, um, but they don't necessarily put a post-it note of, of mentor on my chest. You know what I mean? So uh, it's kind of a, a, a constant evolution of just sort of networking. And, and if you're in the position to, to give advice from your history, I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So with all of the leadership that you've had and all of the mentoring that you've received, what would you say is the biggest takeaway um, piece of advice for other leaders out there? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, I'll, I'll answer with a bit of a cliche um, that I'll then unpack a bit. It, it really is to sort of never stop learning. Uh, and I don't love cliches as a general term, but um, if you think about just e-commerce, right? And I started in e-commerce in the year 2004, uh, which is, it's crazy to think that next year will be 15 years that I've been in the professional world, which is, just makes you feel old. Um, uh, but, uh, nah. You know, just think about everything that's happened since 2004 in e-commerce, right? Like the, in 2004, like branded websites were, were still very small. Um, demandware didn't exist yet. When you think about like the major e-commerce platforms, Shopify was not even a glint in someone's eye. Uh, Amazon was selling books. You know, like it, it just like it, it, it was such a different time. And so if you get set in your ways and you stop paying attention and you stop trying to think about what's really happening in the world, it's a real, you're going to fail. Um, and, and so, you know, here we are in 2018. I think the, the big question now is how do you manage an ecosystem that includes both the marketplaces and branded websites, right? So I think if you're just on amazon.com or if you just have Tumi.com, you're missing a lot of the conversation. And, and then think about how that's going to evolve globally. Yeah. Um, a lot a lot of the arms race has been driven by uh, who's going to be the number one payment provider. Like in China, there's an, really an arms race between like Alipay and WeChat Pay. Here in the US, you see Google Pay, Apple Pay, Amazon Pay. And again, think about this, like we wouldn't have been even talking about this three years ago, right? This idea of mobile payments, sure there's PayPal, but it really wasn't part of an ecosystem. So um, I think all of my, my mentors kind of embody that. And you can do that a variety of different ways. You can do that through kind of consistent education and taking classes on that sort of 
stuff. Or I go back to the thing I said first is, is you can hire people that have just, you know, gone through it. Um, one of my, one of my favorite examples uh, of this is, um, this is a bit of an embarrassing story. Um, oh, I like I embarrassing. My, <laughs> yeah. I said to my wife, like maybe two years ago, um, I was like, look, um, cause I travel for quite a bit. I was like, look, you know what, Alyssa, like whenever I'm on um, the road, I want to communicate exclusively in Snapchat. Right. That's how I want to communicate. And I and, and for me, it was like, I want to learn through osmosis. I want to have, be on this platform and I want to really dive into it. I want to see the advertisements that pop up. And, and that's that to me, that was an example of uh, consistent education. Yeah. And about three days into it, about three days into it, Alyssa and I are like, dude, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't get this platform. Like, it doesn't resonate with us as consumer. But um, at the time, <laughs> you know, we were, we were 33 years old, or maybe 34 at the time, and so it's kind of just like it's a sobering thing when you're embracing this platform that's being embraced by literally hundreds of millions of your potential customers yeah. and you decide that it's kind of not for you as a consumer. And, and, and that's when I realized that there was a real big risk of kind of technology passing me by. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so, and I, I think that's what I mean by, by, constantly learning, you know, so now, um, there was just a Pew research study on, um, kind of how generation Z consumes content and their number one type of content, the content consumption is video, right? Which I don't think is true for, for my generation where I'm kind of like a cusp millennial. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a, that's a big deal is you have to be paying attention, even if it's as a consumer, it doesn't resonate with you. But as a retailer, you kind of have to see how other people are embracing content, even if it's not your personal preference. Yeah. What do you think about the new generation of marketers who are coming in right now? Um, I've heard that there's this whole wave of people who are millennials that are really working super hard at the very beginning of their careers and they're wanting to end up taking like a little bit of a sabbatical kind of mid-career instead of waiting towards the end of that more along the um, time that they would retire typically and I'm Mm. curious how like have you experienced any of this before and what do you think about it and I would think that would be rather disruptive in you know, a career trajectory and for companies and establishing loyalty and all of that. Have you had any experience with this? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, of truth to the evolution of the 20 something employee. Um, and, and it's an interesting question for me to answer. Um, so I'm, I'm 36, right? I was born in 1982. And so I am technically by the letter of the law considered a millennial, but I'm pretty much like the oldest millennial that there is. And so I, I, I'm, I think I'm contemporary enough to the younger generation of marketers, but also older enough that I've sort of seen both sides, right? I've yeah. seen kind of how the 40 something like to work and evolve. And I've seen kind of how the 20 something like to work and evolve. And I'd say there's a couple of things that are really interesting about that. One, what you just talked about, I think really typifies the desire for flexibility, right? The desire to fits and starts, um, work from home, uh, uh, you know, work four hours one day, work 18 hours the next day. Um, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a hard adjustment. Uh, I think you it's important you embrace that to get good talent. And the way you do it is you have to have extremely good communication style in a passive way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and what I mean by passive communication is like what you and I are doing right now is active communication. It's, it's the only things that both you and I are doing. We're not checking emails. We're not reading a book. We're actively communicating. But passive communication is everything from like email to Slack to text message to instant message. Um, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I think that embracing that allows you to really get uh, to work with, with marketers that are in the younger generation. And, and the other thing I would say is like, – the the true purpose of your work is much more important to a, a marketer of a younger generation, right? So when we are actively involved in, um, I think about Toomey, for example, Toomey gives millions of dollars to charities a year. Um, I think that's really meaningful um, to, to a younger marketer and, and having a purpose to your work besides just selling stuff, I, I think is essential. Um, so embracing kind of flexibility in both kind of time management, vacation management, and frankly, uh, where you are in the world. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm a great representation. I, I, I'm talking to you from my back porch in Seattle, Washington, and technically there's people in uh, Santiago, Chile, Brussels, uh, Hong Kong, Boston, and New York that I'm going to be talking to today. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not possible unless we embrace this idea of, of virtual communication. So that's one. And the other thing is just make sure your company has a real purpose beyond selling stuff or else I don't think you're going to be able to motivate a young marketer today. Yeah, that's yeah. that's totally true. And I resonate with that as well. That's, I think, having some something that you can stand behind as far as the um, the soul of the company, not just the product of the company is is super important it's cool that there's a whole generation coming up that's moving in that direction yeah it should be it should be beneficial for everybody right if it's something truly embody yeah speaking of like having a soul um i heard on an interview that you were doing um another time that uh samsonite and tumi are really moving towards sustainability and i'm curious what does that look like from your marketing perspective and and your role yeah, you know, it's it, for us. It's a it's a matter of you know the corporate responsibility piece is is a big deal. Um, and you know, look, like let's just let's just put the cards on the table here. A lot of our products, if you think about hard side luggage, they're plastic, right? And that's that's a tough thing for sustainability wise. It's a really hard thing for us to manage. And so, what it means for us is is we really want to talk about ways that we can be number one using more recycled materials, um, and number two, almost giving our bags a second life, right? So. Um, that can come in the form of donation. Um, that can come in the form of like basically proper disposal. Um, and so for us, it, it really is a, from a marketer perspective, it's about how do we get that message out? But I think the biggest challenge and maybe challenge is, is a bit of a draconian word, but how do you do it in a way that it comes off as genuine? Yeah. Right. Because it's so easy to as like when you're commercially motivated to have a marketing message come off as disingenuous and that you're just doing this to sell stuff. Um, and so we're really kind of talking about how do we do it in a way that people understand the effectiveness of what we're doing? Um, so, for example, we, we launched um, a, an eco line with Samsonite that it basically every single one of our marketing materials talks about, hey, when you buy this bag, it's the equivalent of taking X amount of plastic bottles off this uh, out of the trash, right? Because we're actually using recycled plastic bottles. So I, I think it's a way of taking these messages that everybody agrees with. I think everybody wants to be more environmental friendly. I think everybody wants to be more sustainable. But how do you market it in a way that people understand the true effectiveness of, of you know, participating in this sort of program? Um, yeah. It's a hard it's a hard thing, you know, because I think we're all a bit a bit jaded. Yeah. What would you say right now is the biggest challenge in the Toomey marketing funnel? Oh, 
Um, I, you know, I, I do think it's competing with the massive marketplaces in the market. You know, like um, Amazon spends countless, probably in the billions of dollars in digital marketing. Like I, I made that number up, but it's probably not that far off. Um, and so what we have to do as a brand, like to me, is come up with ways to say, look, here's why you should embrace with us directly. Yeah. Um, like embrace us directly, engage with us directly, um, because we're going to do X, Y, Z that you won't be able to get. Now, look, we're on Amazon, right? So this isn't about a zero sum game. It, it's about giving folks a reason to shop at Toomey stores, shop on Toomey.com. And, and there's multiple reasons to do that. The obvious one is direct margins are better than wholesale margins, right? So there's the, the you know, the, the capitalist point of view. Um, but the other things is when we have a direct relationship with a customer, when someone buys from us versus when someone buys from Amazon, we see that like the customer satisfaction is much higher. The lifetime value is much higher. So there's a lot of motivations to do it beyond just the obvious margin implications. And, and we're doing that a variety of ways. We're doing it with product segmentation. We're doing it with customer service options. You know, th these are all areas that we can have to continue to win. But it is a it is a challenge because these guys just the, the, the companies that are out there that are they're just massive and, and competing with them on a dollar for dollar basis is, is frankly impossible. What acquisition and conversion tactics have been your go-tos for the last year? Um, which ones have failed? Which ones would you repeat again? And which ones would you like be, I will never do that again? <laughs> um, so I, look, I, in the U.S. specifically, paid search and, and Facebook are, are king, right? They're king and queen and probably yeah. prince and princess, right? Like it's just – I think the last statistic was like 75 percent of marketing dollars are spent on those two channels. So let's let's tell it the way it is. Um, probably the one that I'm most bullish on, um, ironically, is, is the offerings that are coming from Amazon. You know, if you think about what makes marketing really effective today – um, it's having access to being able to leverage a lot of consumer data and no one has more consumer data than Facebook, Google and Amazon. And so Amazon's at sort of their infancy of the Amazon marketing suite of services. But I think they're going to be one of the most relevant players in the space. Right. And, and, and when you look at our competitive set. And you look at like the Away Travels, um, the Louis Vuittons of the world, neither of them sell on Amazon, right? So it's, it's a huge opportunity for us to win in an area that we have to play and, and do very well and embrace. So that's one that I'm really bullish on. Um, something that I've never been effective on, and I don't know if I'd go short of saying I'd never do it again, um, but it's just baffling to me that it hasn't worked, is Pinterest. Um, like, I feel like Pinterest has done a variety of advertising efforts. They have promoted pins. And, and as a consumer, when I see the advertising, I'm like, I feel like this should work, right? Like, I yeah. feel like this, but it just never has for us. And um, maybe we're not good at it. Uh, you know, I just think it's one of those areas that I'd love to, to get better at. I, I'd stop short of saying I'd never do it again, but um, that's up there. And then the other one that's just perplexing to me is, is LinkedIn. You know, I think that when, when Microsoft acquired LinkedIn, 
I thought the reason they did it is they were going to make kind of the first ever B2B auction marketplace for advertising, right? You think about AdWords, you think about Facebook, they're all just auction marketplace for advertising. But LinkedIn has always had these massive minimums, like $25,000 to get started. And that's just a big risk. So that's what I'm pretty ambitious on, but I'm mm-hmm. still trying to figure out exactly how it could work for us. Um, so yeah, sort of a long way. And then the last thing I'll say is I still think video advertising has a long way to go. Um, I think that this the, the, the long-term view, call it five, 10 years, um, we need to get better at video advertising. But I also think the YouTubes of the world have to figure out how to make it more effective, right? I think it's I think it's kind of a dual-sided marketplace there that no one's extremely good at creating content for people and the ad options that are given to you by the marketplaces aren't great yet. So I'm really ambitious on it, but I still think we're, we're a ways away from being effective. Um, and like I said, it's a combination of both our ability and, and the options that are applied to us. Yeah, which conversion tactics or acquisition tactics have you noticed that you were just like, no, we're not repeating that one. And what replaced it instead? Um, so we're not repeating that one. You know, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever actually walked away for one just because it was an unsuccessful test. Um, it, it, there's, there's sort of, um, I mean, look, we don't do co-reg anymore. Like, I, mean, I think about like co-registration back in the day, you know, it just anything that feels deceptive or, or frankly cheap um, we're walking away from. Um, I'll give you one that I have a real love hate with right now, which is, uh, kind of browser notifications. Mm-hmm. Um, cause browser notifications, I think both of us, Brittany have opted into one that we didn't mean to. And then we got pushed a notification and we're like, dude, this sucks. Like I don't want this, you know? And, and I never want to be that company, but they've been pretty effective. Yeah. Um, so that's one we're, we're, we're kind of playing around with trying to do it in a customer, um, appropriate way. Mm-hmm. I, I never want anyone to feel duped. So I guess we have walked away from uh, co-registration. We've walked away from any like spammy affiliates. Like anything that just feels gross is the ones that we'd walk away from. And we try to replace them with stuff that's a little bit more brand appropriate. It's sort of a non-answer, but it, it's probably my the best one I can give you. No, that totally works. Um, and speaking of personalization, um, how are you guys using machine learning to bring that to fruition and to increase your conversions. Do you guys do this in-house or is it um, outsourced or is it a blend? How is this being accomplished? Um, I guess it just depends depends on your definition. I would say my gut reaction would say that's almost entirely outsourced. Like the actual algorithm creation and doing the math is entirely outsourced. Um, what we're trying to accomplish with it, we do strategically in-house. So, I, 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 but you know, the actual machine learning aspect is outsourced, and 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 we've kind of gone through this progression of. The first place we used it with was messaging. Um, There's sort of no reason to guess if you have a good amount of data on a consumer what you should show them next. Um, I think using machine learning there is is sort of an obvious one. Um, The next sort of evolution for us was on-site personalization. So again, if you have a browser history... We sort of know what you've you've kind of looked at in the past. We know what you search for, et cetera. Um, that's another place that we've started to get much better. Uh, we're probably a little bit more early in that journey, but I think we're getting pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then the area that we're really excited to dive into now that we're at kind of, if there's 10 steps, we're probably on step one or two, is in customer service. Uh, I really believe that machine learning and customer service is a big deal, and it's an area we can make a huge difference. Like, if you call in, right, 
and I can match your phone number to your email. That means I can match your phone number to your sales history. That means I should be able to predict what you want to talk about, right? right? Or at the very least, like equip the customer service representative with more information than they would have had. Uh, I just think it's such a big deal. I, I think it's an area that if there's one thing that I would love to optimize for myself and all of our customers, it's time. I'd love to have them have less time to get what they want. And, and, and that's where an area where I think machine learning is a big opportunity for us. And, and again, an opportunity for us to differentiate from, from our uh, competitors. Yeah. What Do you have a wish list for some technology that would solve all of your acquisition and conversion dreams? <laughs> well... Yeah. And uh, I mean I'm, that, I say that like, that's a pretty big dreamy question, but no, I mean very specifically. I, ha I have an answer. I have an yeah. answer. Um, so the, the I, I referenced before where Facebook, Google, and Amazon have a real advantage over us. And when I say us, I mean a brand, right? I mean a single brand. I'm not talking about Nordstrom. I'm talking about Nike or Toomey or, you know, Converse. Um, where their advantage is, is they have the ability to easily easily uh, tie one consumer to multiple devices, right? So I shop on Amazon on this computer. I shop on Amazon on this phone. I shop on Amazon on my tablet. And so behind the scenes, Amazon is keeping a really single view of Charlie as a customer. Um, and the reason they can do that is because I'm logged in. Like I'm logged in passively into Google on this computer right now, even though I don't even have Google open. Mm -hmm. um, the same is true on this phone. Gmail's on this phone running behind the scenes as we speak. Um, that's a huge advantage for them. Because if you think about the only way we can do that as brands is if Brittany logged into Toomey.com on her computer, then logged into Toomey.com on her phone, and then logged into Toomey.com on her tablet, you probably didn't do that. You might have browsed on all three, but you probably didn't log in. So my dream is a technology that allows brands to have true single views of a customer across all their devices, including like work computer, personal computer, all that sort of stuff. I think people have tried, but honestly, I think the solutions that are out there are pretty awful. Like I've yeah. yet to see one that, that works very well. Yeah. Do you see technology and data science as a differentiator for Toomey um, against your competitors and against other like bag man manufacturers in general? No. Is that one of your strategies uh, at all? No. I, I mean, so look, I, I don't think anyone could stare you in the face and, and actually say yes to that question with a straight answer. I mean, because it's just it is so easy for our competitors to get access to the exact same technologies we're all using. Right. Like, so I, I just kind of I resent the implication that a brand could answer that question. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like we we're making all of our own algorithms. It's just not true. Like, I mean, it, like, so how you use it is the differentiator. Right. Like right. the technology itself, it, it's a commodity. Right. Like, is it that hard? I, I always found it really funny, Brittany, like four years ago when somebody would be at a presentation and be like, oh, yeah, we just replatformed to Demandware, which we think is a differentiator. Dude, all of your competitors are on Demandware, too. Right. So it has nothing to do with the technology itself. It's how you utilize it. I do think we're better at utilizing it from a messaging personalization perspective. I think we can be better at a customer service. Center. I don't think we're there yet. So to me, it's it's about utilization of technology, but the technology of itself is pretty easy to access, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's just nothing, we haven't, and, and look, I don't picture a world that Toomey hires 40 
computer uh, data scientists that specialize in machine learning and start coding our own algorithms. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't think that's going to ever going to be our, our core competency. Yeah. Um, looking forward, what would you say if you could predict or were to make a prediction, what would you say that the future in the next three to five years is for like data driven marketing and predictive personalization um, and using like artificial intelligence to implement both of those? So I think that the future is um, everybody is going to have to start using it to stay competitive. Like I, I think right now you, you have a bit of an early adopter advantage, but I, I equate it to, you know, A-B testing, right? If you're not doing, if at this point, if you're not doing like rapid testing and iteration of your website, you're, you're falling behind, but that wasn't always the case. It, it was sort of an early adopter tool at a certain point um, or attribution analytics. So while I think it might, not everybody may be using it now, uh, it will be far more ubiquitous. Like it's yeah. going to be something that everybody's going to have to use and, and use very well um, to be effective. So Um, yeah, so I do think it's going to be massive there. And as far as the evolution is concerned, you know, it's it's personalization by device uh, is still very, very nuanced, right? Like, so in the U.S. specifically, we still see desktop conversion rates or or laptop or whatever you want to call it uh, really outpace that of mobile. Uh, and, And I think that's largely based on a combination of two things. It's based on just sort of how consumers are still shopping, right? Not everybody's buying stuffing off of mobile web. And also the, the performance of the websites that are being delivered on mobile are also not great at times. So I would really like it if I, if I was – so something I think we should be doing a better job of right now, the experience we give you on mobile based on that should be a little bit different than the experience we give you on desktop and it should be personalized based on device type. So I don't think people are great at that yet. I think like personalization is still relatively ubiquitous across device, but I think you'll see much more of a wave of device-driven personalization uh, over time based on both marketing and, and on-site performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more question that's very forward-looking and it's actually personally for you. And I'm curious just because you've seen, and you've overseen a number of e-commerce companies from the ground up and kind of really built them into what they are now. And you are, I think you had said the, the chief e-commerce um, yeah. officer, right? At Tumi. So yep. what does growth look like for you from here? What haven't <laughs> you done? <laughs> uh, well, I have this hope um, and it might be a it might be a misguided hope, but it's it, you know that it, it, for the big brands in the world, like I, I would love my short answer is I would love to evolve to be um, a CEO of a of a large company, right? Like so, if it's in the stars, like our CEO at Samsonite is is amazing, and if in five ten years he wanted to step down, I I, I want to evolve into kind of his type of role. But in a more general answer. I find it really interesting when I see retailers replacing CEOs. And I, I, frankly, I think what you find is is more of the same. Like you find CEOs being replaced with people that led the retail team or people that were head of wholesale. But you look around, you really haven't seen a lot of chief digital officers or chief e-commerce officers taking over as leading companies. Um, and, and I wonder why that is. I wonder if that's a byproduct of how boards still think about things. I've always found the fact that the digital leaders aren't getting offered major retail CEO roles is interesting um, because I don't think anything else 
influences a consumer's purchase more than digital, right? Even if it happens at the store, even if it happens in a wholesale partner, even if it happens on the website itself, I just really do believe that more digital leaders um, could do a great job of running retailers. So it's my personal goal. It's kind of where I want to go. Um, but I also think it would the entire retail segment would would benefit from retail leaders or sorry from di- digital leaders getting out of like this digital framework and moving to more like retail to true, true brand ownership and leadership. Um, we'll see if it happens. Um, I'm kind of shocked it hasn't happened yet. But then again, I'm extremely biased on the subject as, as well. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Charlie, so much for like being with me and answering all of my questions. And I'm excited for you to see what CEO position you're able to like <laughs> conquer. Yeah, we'll find, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. It, it, but it, nice, the nice part is I, I really uh, I dig where, where I am as well. So uh, not not actively looking to move anywhere, but I kind of hope sure. for retail that there's more digital leadership that kind of gets elevated across the, the segment. 